Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Drive Through HR. This is our hub for discussion of groundbreaking ideas, trends, and activities impacting HR, talent, HR technology, and the workplace. Our focus is on expanding knowledge and igniting curiosity as we hear directly from people who are shaping the future of our industry. I'm Robin Schooling, your host for today, and ready to navigate you through today's discussion. And today's guest is Raya Moss with iSIMS. Welcome, Raya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So glad you're joining us today. I, and I say us because my co-host, uh, Michael, is not with me today. Uh, so you just get me. Uh, but we are so glad that that you're on drive through And to uh, kick us off, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and specifically your role at ISIMS uh, that you're in today. Yeah, sure. So I'm Raya Moss. I'm the Global Head of Workforce Insights at iSIMS. Um, if you're not familiar with iSIMS, we are a talent acquisition technology company. We've been around for 20 plus years. Um, hopefully most of you have heard of us, but I have the fun role of leading our insights program at iSIMS. Um, I've been at iSIMS for seven years now. I started out in product management, spent a while in our engineering department, and now I'm in customer success and data insights um, if you're not familiar with our insights program, this is where I'm going to super nerd out and geek out. Um, <laughs> I am the, I mean, my team jokingly calls me the chief data geek. Um, we get to look at the collective usage of our products amongst our 6,000 mm. customers and mm -hmm. figure out what's actually happening. It just seems like right now there's so much information out there. You can go get BLS data, but it's lagging and there's, you know, unemployment right. data and jobs day. And, and our team, what we're really trying to do is just give pure data and actual information about what's happening in talent acquisition. Are companies mm -hmm. opening jobs? Are people actually hiring? What are the people doing? Are they applying for work? Mm -hmm. um, so we get to do research on our data set, which is, is pretty big, actually. We had about 150 million applications come in through our system last mm. year. It's way more this year. Stay tuned for the updated number in a month. Um, mm. It resulted in about 6 million hires last year. And again, even wow. more this year. So we get to go number crunch, and then it's my fun job to come on conversations like this and really get to share <laughs> with you all and our customers of what's what's actually happening in TA right what, now. Yeah, what's really happening. And I, once upon a time, it's been a few years, but uh, I was one of those 6,000 ISIMS customers and, and uh, enjoyed uh, really as a customer as well, getting getting that insight. Uh, but now I'm not a customer, but I, I still read read your stuff every month. And we wanted to get you on the show to talk about some of uh, some of the most recent in insights that you've shared. And that was your November workforce report. Mm -hmm. So let's start there and let's talk about that a little bit because you 
you alluded to some of the things that you cover in that report. Um, and, and one of the things that struck me is that you found applicants per opening Mm-hmm. at its highest level, the highest level that we've seen for a few years now. Why is that good news? Why is that bad news? Yeah. Um, so we try to, uh, I'll get to your question, but I'm going to preface it with something and say, okay, try to kind of help cut through the economic data. I always kind of start a lot of my talks by saying like, I am not an economist. And that's probably a good thing for most of you. Um, uh-huh. There is this notion, right? You know, we have unemployment is really low. And even though, you know, you hear these like wild headlines, it's up. Yeah, yeah it ticked up one point and it's still incredibly low. And then you have, you know, quit rate which is quote unquote, incredibly down, even though it's really at the same place it was pre-COVID where it had been elevating mm-hmm. over 10 years straight. And you kind of look mm-hmm. at all of the sort of like pure BLS numbers. And I think a lot of yep. go like, I don't actually know what that means for me. So I, mm-hmm. on applicants for opening, or we call it APO is actually, this is how you know I'm like a real data nerd. It's my favorite <laughs> trick. I have, yes, I have a favorite. Um, and really why I think it's fascinating is I like to say, if we just simplify it down to its core, it's if I open a job, how many people do I expect to get to apply for it? And you mm-hmm. could go high level and turn it into an economic theorem and say it's some version of a supply and a demand curve and all that. But really, it's just if I open that role, are people going to come? And what we right. know for the last few years, I hope this is not a surprise to anybody on this call, is that that number was incredibly low and it continued mm-hmm. to hold low. And we saw things that really added to that. You'd have things like the great resignation where people are leaving businesses and we're still not getting applicants for all of the open mm-hmm. jobs. Um, so the good quote unquote and bad quote unquote news, I would say is that it is coming back. Um, it's back up, you know, at higher levels than we've seen in a couple years. And so the good news is for a lot of recruiters and, and the word I'm hearing when talking with them is I don't have to go find them as much, right? So sort of coming back yes. to the notion that candidates are just naturally starting to come back to me. Now, that being said, there's the other side of the coin, which are we have really, really small talent acquisition teams right now. We know they tended to be some of the first groups that were rift when we saw some reductions Mm -hmm. in the last year or so. So we're like, okay, great. Well, we've got less recruiters and more applicants. Right. not necessarily always a good thing. So I have been at ISIM since 2016, as I mentioned. And when I first started, we had some customers who come to us and say like, I'm getting too many applicants. That's yes. not a great thing either. Or I'm getting the wrong applicants, which yes. isn't necessarily a benefit. So that's where I say it, it's kind of, it's, it, there's two sides of the same coin. It's good news if you're in a space where, you know, you're in healthcare or you're trying to hire teachers or you're retail where we just weren't getting anyone. And so it's mm-hmm. great to say, um, somebody used this word yesterday and I just have to keep repeating it because I just think it's fantastic. They said, I'm just glad to have a choice again. And I think choices is mm-hmm. something that a lot of companies really had to just give up the idea of. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that good news. If you think of that natural sort of flow and the power dynamic between companies and applicants, I think we're just mm-hmm. starting to see that become a little bit more neutral. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had a, 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 a conversation with one of our clients yesterday, actually, about um, some new positions that, that they've opened up uh, that we're helping them recruit for. And you know, it was so interesting because one of the it's a smaller, you know, small organization, does, they don't hire a lot, but the um, owner of the company, one of his first questions was, well, how many applicants do you think will be, will be seen? <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, he went right to um, this thought of, well, volume, you know, I need volume 
of yeah. applicants to to be able to hire. And so we had to kind of talk through that a little bit and, you know, hey, it's it's okay. We're going to be do some, doing some sourcing for you and that sort of thing. Not sure what, uh, you know, I, I pulled out some, yes, BLS numbers and things <laughs> to talk through with him. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? I, I, I love, I love hearing about how these things shift over time and over, you know, the course of a year or months or whatever. And that's the truth. And that's what we're seeing right now is that the, the speed in which the changes are occurring, it's not yeah. just the fact that there have been a lot of changes that have happened in, you know, we can call it the markets, but let's also just call it like the employer candidate sort of power dynamic and just raw numbers of jobs and applicants and all of that. The rate in which the changes are happening yes. is something that is, I mean, it's funny, we're sitting in annual planning season. I think every single company and mm-hmm. probably everywhere right now is setting budgets and figuring out what they expect next year. And and truthfully, I think even the idea that we know what, what business will be like, mm-hmm. what candidates will be like, what our economy will be like next year from now is kind of almost getting like a little almost comical, right? This idea yeah. that we have any clue. And I think that we've learned one thing, which is none of us really know. We're all kind of figuring it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we um uh, we have our, our co-host has just joined us, so he will be with us for the rest of the show. Hello, I, Michael. I, uh, I joined the wrong group. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. That's, that's quite all right. That's quite all right. We're 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 nerding out, we're geeking out here with uh with Rhea and her data. Uh, and the and- drive-by. It's nice to see you, Rhea. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to drop back off. I have to jump on another call. Sorry about that. No problem. Okay. Too funny. 2023, um, folks. <laughs> it is. That's the epitome of 2023. Um, so, you know, APO, your your applicants per opening, there's there's one of the things that um, that you like to talk about. Let's talk about another uh, very common metric something we measure something we the term we toss around a lot uh, toss around a lot in the recruiting world and that's time to fill what's your thoughts on time to fill oh i mean i think it's everybody's favorite and not favorite metric i mean i think we (laughs) all know it's a necessary evil right we can talk about quality of hire and we can talk about you know how many candidates we get but i think you have to talk at some point about pace Right. Which is mm-hmm. just this notion of how fast are we doing it? How and in certain cases, I was again, I'll allude to healthcare. How long is that vacancy sitting? Right. And so right. As much as how long does it take to find the next person? It's how long between when that person gives notice and that role is sitting empty. Right. And that's where I think time to fill is actually really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Really unchanged year over year amongst all of these changes. It's sitting at 39 days. Um, just over five and a half weeks, it doesn't change that much. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing I find kind of fascinating is like, you know, time to fill is a pretty dry metric. And I will say it, you don't have to agree. I can be controversial, but I think yep. it's interesting when you put it with other things. So I think when yes. you talk about things like we had extreme labor shortages and kept time to fill, that's where I applaud yes. recruiting teams. Oh my yeah. God. Everyone who recruited through the labor shortage that kept their time to fill. I mean, incredible. Yes. Same goes the other way. If we're in places now where, and I'm telling you, I have customers that are like, I opened a job. I had 300 applicants in a day. Mm -hmm. I had to take it down. 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, each of those deserve a good candidate experience. So if you're able to sort through that many and still hold time to fill, again, mm-hmm. I say hats off to you. Um, mm-hmm. I think time to fill is interesting, like I said, sort of as an ancillary supporting metric to other things. And I mm-hmm. find it fascinating that amongst so much change in the last two to three years that it really hasn't changed all that yeah. much. And it's also, uh, it is such a organizationally unique metric as well because it is it's not universal from organization to organization it's nor should it's what nor should it be nor you know it's what what matters in your organization is how you define it then and it's also so i'll say just one quick thing on that yeah something i actually give as a huge piece of advice when i'm talking with our customers and when I say, okay, here's the benchmark and here's where you are, immediately mm-hmm. you can see sort of like people sit and bristle up like, yeah, mm-hmm. show me, think you know my time to fill, I know my time to fill, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, say, I don't care. I don't care what your number is. Your number mm-hmm. can be 80 and the benchmark is 35. But you know what right. I would do if I were you? If the benchmark went down five days and you stayed the same. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think more about directionality. If sort of mm-hmm. in general, the competition is getting faster and you're getting slower, that's sort mm-hmm. of like alarm bells going off for me. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, mm-hmm. right? If it's getting slower out there and you're speeding up, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's much more about sort of that notion of like, in general, are we seeing more inertia or less inertia and less mm-hmm. about sort of like what the raw value is because right. everyone has their own process and their own way of calculating it. Um, if anybody wants to build a standard time to fill and get the whole world of talent acquisition to accept it, I will right. <laughs> any award possible. <laughs> We all have our opinions and we're completely allowed to have them. But again, that's where I think it's just more important to think of directionally. Are you shifting with market or there's something you're doing that your competition, you know, has found a way to do Mm -hmm. faster that you haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's such a good uh, bellwether for perhaps some other internal organizational clusterfucks, if you, if you will. (laughs) Right. Oh, uh, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at at my my time to fill metric, mm-hmm. and I I can parse it down, yeah, uh, that sophistication, right? To parse it down and and look at the different stages within that wider time to fill number, it, it's where it helps me figure out where the problems are, where are the bottlenecks, where's our process broken, need to be looked at, adjusted, fixed. In addition to looking at um, what's happening with pace or speed or, or that sort of thing. So I agree. The little bits that make up time to fill are much more fascinating to me. Yes. Like like how long did it take you to find that candidate that they decided you were going to hire? How long did it take to schedule that interview? Now those are, if we're sitting there scheduling, it's taking us eight days. Let's have a conversation. We're in a world where it's just taking 30 days to find the right candidate to apply. Okay. That's the world we're living in. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. There we've we've uh, we solved it. We've laid we found it. We've laid it out. Now now we just need to trademark it and solve everybody's problems. Um, and, and, and one more thing before we move on from the that November workforce report, because mm-hmm. another aspect that you highlighted in that report is um, information around the tech industry. Right? You know, we had lots of headlines, of course, over twenty twenty three. That seemed to be where you know, every other day there's layoffs and rifts and all these sorts of things. Uh, but you also found some interesting data around the, the tech industry as well. 
So the tech industry is very near and dear to my heart. Almost my entire career before I worked at iSIMS, I worked in tech, whether um, financial tech companies, tech, tech, deep tech companies. Um, last one was a building tech company. I- I'm fascinated by tech, right? I'm a, a good millennial in that way. Uh-huh. I'll bite a geriatric millennial. Um, but I find it really fascinating because tech seems to have taken over the headlines. And yes. the other piece I find very interesting, and which I think is I think is an important call out before we talk numbers is that in my opinion, there are tech companies as the news calls them. That is mm-hmm. not an industry. And, and mm-hmm. this one, I will stand on a soapbox all day on every big tech company that you can think of, you name it. Amazon is a retail company, right? Mm-hmm. Apple is a manufacturing company. Uber is a transportation company. Mm-hmm. What people think of as tech is sort of that group of really kind of Silicon Valley based, West Coast based kind of tech companies. Mm-hmm. That's what takes over the headline. That's what we're seeing on the nightly news. That's what's eating up all of our LinkedIn feed on the right hand side with the LinkedIn news, mm-hmm. right? But what's interesting is there's then what we look at at ISIMS, which is tech roles, which is sort of that tech talent and the skills required to build those kind of technologies. So mm-hmm. things like software engineers and data scientists and We like to talk more about that type of work. And look, here's the thing. I can be, well, I guess I just explained it. I I come from a product management background, but a data science background or a software engineer background, I can work on solutions at a manufacturing company, at a healthcare company. And I can hop in with those skills with no training needed. I don't know any hiring Mm -hmm. manager that's like, he's great at writing Java, but I wish he had worked in a manufacturing company before. Mm -hmm. No, they care that they can write the software. So We look Mm -hmm. at technical positions. So we have a set of standard occupation codes that we call tech jobs. And we're looking at the actual applications and hires to those kinds of roles, agnostic to the industry that the company that they are employed by um, Mm -hmm. align with. So what's Mm -hmm. fascinating is the applicant volume. um, Because usually when an industry or a type of work is getting really negative headlines, Um, you'll see a huge decrease in applicant volume to that group. In fact, when President Biden went and stood on the picket lines of the auto workers strike, we saw a 10% decline in applications to the entire manufacturing industry in a single week. Wow. Yes. Like there is definitely anyone who thinks that like not only themselves, but their competitors getting bad headlines. This is not like any press is good press situation. Absolutely not the case. Usually. Now I'll pause there. On the other side, as you were commenting on, you know, so much industry about um, talk around layoffs and rifts and all mm-hmm. that, um, applicant volume to technical ro- roles actually went up about 70% year over year, mm-hmm. which there's also a lot of conversation right now about the future of work. And, you know, I guess we can't have a podcast in 2023 or be at an event without using my favorite, least favorite word, Gen AI. <laughs> there um, we go. I said it. What is the, what, how many minutes are we in? But in all seriousness, there is this notion though, even though the companies of that type are getting bad headlines, that this type of work really is kind of the future right. of employment. Um, yeah. Interestingly though, hires and openings for that type of work are both down. Um, mm-hmm. Year over year, hires are down about 20% in technical roles and openings are down 9%. One can mm-hmm. hope that maybe that's just less resignation and people staying put, mm-hmm. but from the um, talent acquisition side of it, a lot less jobs, a lot more applicants. Mm-hmm. Have Have you seen the data uh, to support the anecdotal stories I've read, certainly that uh, prompt engineer jobs are 
up, up, up. That's the hot tech job. I've seen some of these reports and I Uh will say, I think it's interesting because I'll give you my personal take on it, whether you want Uh it or not. Um, Perfect. (laughs) um, I think that the idea of Gen AI is that anybody can interact with AI mm-hmm. that's how to speak a language natively. Mm-hmm. Right. So in my mind, if Gen AI is going to be as widespread used across businesses, across our, our, our daily lives, I shouldn't need to know another language or have a skill to talk to it. Right. In theory, if that's what it takes to interact with it, it's not going to do the, the it's going to have the widespread effect that I think we all think it's going to change our everyday right. lives. Right? To right. me, the power of it is that, I mean, I'll give you my favorite, again, told you total data nerd. I, I warned you, uh-huh. favorite use case I've heard so far of Gen AI is that no longer do you need to know the syntax of Microsoft Excel. Mm. You can go into Gen AI and you can say, I would like, column B to turn green when the value in column C is both over 40 and the value in column D is worth over 60 and the value Mm. of that same value on sheet X is five, right? Like Mm -hmm. who would, Mm -hmm. I would be calling five friends and debunking my syntax errors for an hour and a half. Right. ChatGPT will just spit out the answer. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the the like real game changer of this technology, right? Is mm-hmm. taking away all the syntax. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and, it, and it's the so conversational aspect. Right now, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right now, look, it's early in its days. If there's people who are better at talking to it than the rest of us, I'm not great yet. Then fantastic. Do I think that's a really like long term skill we're going to be hunting for in 2030? I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I want to talk about another uh, report that you recently released because we, the the November workforce report, a lot of that comes from, oh, that's, you know, looking at uh, yeah. employer information, if you will. But you recently released a talent experience report, which was uh, diving into what job seekers want right now. What were some of the key findings that you found in that? Well, I love this one because I, like I said, I get to talk to a lot of our clients and, and yeah. it's funny when you get in a room and there's 10 people from the same organization and they start arguing with each other about how, what they <laughs> think they want. And it happens all the time. I think they want this. No, I think they want this. So we went out and we actually built this whole report. We used our platform data. We surveyed job seekers. We surveyed talent acquisition professionals. And we really focused on sort of that answer of like, what, what is it? We all know there's been huge shifts in psychology of work, psychology of looking mm-hmm. for work, right? And mm-hmm. we, so we said like, what, what is it? And can we kind of quantify it? Because again, super data nerds around here. Yep. Um, and so I will just tell you my, again, person, this is, could be tied, this episode can be titled Raya's favorite things. Um, <laughs> my favorite stat that I like, I've always sort of had this notion and I just love having a number for it is of people that we surveyed that are job seekers said that they are less likely to be a consumer of a brand, spend their Mm. money with you as a business, Uh if they have a poor experience applying, interviewing for a job. Uh Uh-huh. And I, I, I like to say that to a lot of companies they are like, we're just not really hiring that much right now. So talent acquisition is just like not a priority for us. Uh-huh. Like, well, 
How many applicants did you get last year? Are you willing to lose half of them as customers? Right. Right. And we've always said our candidates are our customers. Our customers are our right. candidates. And this notion of company brand and, and employment brand, and they're all kind of fusing together at this point. But I really thought that stat was powerful to say, even if you're not going to hire them, and think about this, when we, we talked mm-hmm. about APO, when APO goes up, that doesn't mean you have more hires. That means you have more people who don't get the job. Right. Right. And so I think from that perspective, I think it really speaks to that that psychology of I'm as a job seeker, I'm also a consumer, and I expect to get that I'm special consumer experience that I would get um, as I am applying for a job there. And then the other one um, I like to think of as our new Karen data point is <laughs> uh, just the the willingness for folks to go out and speak negatively about you publicly if they yes. don't. Experience. So not yes. only will they not spend their money with you, there is no problem anymore going out and putting your company on blast. One of the uh-huh. stats I thought was fascinating is that 14% of people say they post on Glassdoor after a bad experience applying for a job. And I think at first you're like, okay, that's only 14%. But this isn't people who got a phone screen or an interview or got to an offer stage. This is like just they spent the five to nine minutes on your career site. And if right. they didn't like it, they will then take their time to go to a different website mm-hmm. and, up and tell the world how unhappy they were with that experience. Mm-hmm. Like that's mind blowing to me. Yep. Yep. And it's interesting. 18% said they would do the same after interviewing, but I think companies don't put the same focus on how important mm-hmm. that experience is at an application necessarily mm-hmm. as they do at an interview. An interview, you're a mm-hmm. human, you're face to face. We're making a connection. And I think knowing that the likelihood to talk negatively about you on a public review site like Glassdoor is almost the same for those two audiences was a really yes, yeah, that is very interesting. Um, and they'll go to Glassdoor and and or they'll take in you know thirty minutes and go and record a TikTok about it too. Gosh. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's well, and so that's the other thing I think, and I, I that we should call out is that we've seen this huge change where the. We talk a lot about work-life balance, right? That was kind of, you know, 2017 to 2021, let's call it, right? Right. And then I think 2021 and 22 and 23 were, and I'll speak about myself personally, we are more in this like work-life integration, right? Like it is all just sort of becoming one and it's figuring out how you balance the fact that the two have become the same. And Mm -hmm. we talk about things like trends in talent acquisitions and trends in the labor market have become absolute headline news. When I started at mm-hmm. ISIS in 2016, we used to sit down to dinner, a dinner party, right? And people would say, what do you do? And I would start to explain what I do. And everybody was like, huh? And now <laughs> we sit down for dinner and someone's like, so what do you do for a living? And my husband's like, please don't get her started. It's all we're going to talk about because everybody has an opinion right now. Yes. Yes. People that haven't gotten a job have an opinion on how hard it is to get a job or how, how hard it is to find workers, right? Because yes. it's some... I, I literally say it's become dinner table conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the other reason that it really matters is they don't even necessarily have to go on a glass door. They're talking to their friends. They're talking to their family. Mm-hmm. They're, how was your day? You know, if you're out running an errand, oh, I had a poor experience applying mm-hmm. for a job here, right? Like it's just become, it used to be this sort of taboo conversation. It was mm-hmm. work at work and talk about other things um, in your personal life. But I really believe that that that's long gone. Yes. Yes. You know, that's a, that's a, 
that's a really good segue to uh, our wrap up question because uh, our time is just about up here. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting because you look at the work that, that we do. I, I, I say we right the collective HR talent world, um, the work that you do on the tech and research side and, and kind of the integration of all those things. This is labor market data and hiring processes and all of these things we think about it all the time. We live and breathe it. Now other people are, are there as well. So why is it important um, for recruiters, for HR leaders, for executives of any stripe and function? Why is it important for the folks in our audience to pay attention to data, to research, to reports such as those that you produce? Well, as I was saying, everybody has an opinion right now. And these opinions mm-hmm. in general are formed by all kinds of exterior influence. Um, mm-hmm. And the same is true inside your company. And I've I've heard over and over again the last couple of years, my hiring managers think they know more than me about this right now. My hiring managers yes. say, well, I read this article and it yes. says it's easy to hire right now. And I'm like, it's not easy. It's just not as extremely difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think where data is incredibly powerful at a time like this, where a lot of people, your CIO, your CFO, your CEO, your board members, they're all taking in sort of this external narrative. They're watching CNN, they're on LinkedIn and getting the news. And it's hard for folks to also remember that all of those sources are tailored in some way to the audience that they're aiming for. Yes. so I think- true talent acquisition data. And this is where, again, I say like not even economic data, but true talent acquisition data is really helpful to say, okay, I understand that you read an article that says, you know, unemployment is easing. It's it's a hotter job market, right? Mm-hmm. So let me show you that right now, you know, applicants for opening was X. It is Y. While that is an mm-hmm. improvement pre-pandemically, mm-hmm. Or when you, when we, well, not that anybody thought it was easy to hire pre-pandemic, but at a time when we saw this in high amounts, it was double that. Right. Right. And so here's an actual number to say that story isn't wrong, but a lot of stories miss a lot of details and they're not Mm -hmm. necessarily, um, I was on with a customer just yesterday and they said like, I got this great article about how perfect this situation was going to be for hiring. And then I realized like that, that labor pool it was discussing isn't the labor pool we hire Mm -hmm. from. Mm-hmm, right? right. So that's where I think it's incredibly important to find partners and find location to get data that is relative to town acquisition and then pass it along on a consistent basis. What we're seeing is a lot mm-hmm. of our customers will say, I need that same chart every quarter. And I'm putting that same chart in every mm-hmm. one of my board updates. So they start thinking of that as the common place to get the trusted data instead yes. of high level media narrative that's telling one side or another side of the story. Because we heard a lot the last year. I mean, if you think about it, you know, I can think of days where I'd be sitting watching the news and I'd see a, lay- a huge layoff happening in a giant company. And mm-hmm. being curious, I'd go look and I'd be like, wow, they laid off 10,000 people and they have 15,000 openings. Right. But the, but the 15,000 openings didn't make the story. And right. so everybody was so surprised when Jobs Day would come out and it was like, wait, what? We added jobs? Right. And so that's right. why I think the true talent acquisition data is really powerful to say, this is what's actually happening. This isn't a side mm-hmm. of the story or, or that's going to get clicks or it's going to get viewership. Um, this is just genuinely what happened last month. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, that's a great 
a great piece of advice, great pieces of advice to leave with our listeners. Uh, and we will, of course, link and we'll have linked to where folks can find you and find some of that information on the show page. But uh, Raya, thank you so much for joining us on Drive Through. And as we get ready to leave out, can you let our listeners know where they can connect with you, find you online uh, and get their hands on your research? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I love about iSIMS is we are committed to sharing this information publicly. Um, we're mm-hmm. not keeping it behind closed doors. We do have, you know, offerings for our customers that go really deep and heavy, but we publish a workforce report every single month. Usually comes out about the second week of the month with just, hey, here's what happened last month, and then some things that we find interesting. Um, mm-hmm. that you can find every month at isims.com slash insights. We also do a little two to three minute video every month on kind of our hot take of what we're seeing in the market right now that we post on the iSIMS LinkedIn page. Um, I also post on my personal LinkedIn page. So you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, Rhea Moss, R-H-E-A. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rhea. Thank you, iSIMS, uh, for, for putting all this information out there. Appreciate it. And goodbye, everybody. Thank you for having me. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.